0: Welcome to Meraki Mentors, a podcast featuring women who create. We interview creatives from every field and around the globe to discuss art, risk taking, and what it means to live a creative life. Here's your host, Candace Howes. You're about to hear from one of my good friends and one of the most talented writers I know. Anna Rada Bomick is a poet and nonfiction writer who recently graduated from the MFA program at Virginia Tech. She has won numerous awards and fellowships to writing retreats, a true testament to her diligence and work ethic. We sat down to talk about pursuing an MFA right after undergrad, her experience teaching at the university level, and why amazing writers come in all shapes, colors, and ages. Welcome back, everyone, to Meraki Mentors. I'm super, super excited today because we have one of my favorite writers, um, favorite people in the world, great friends, um, Anarada Bomek with us. And she recently completed her MFA at Virginia Tech. And so we'll have a great conversation just about that experience, her as a writer, and what she's up to now. So first of all,
1: thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Candace Howes. I really appreciate your introduction. Thanks for being thoughtful and in inviting me onto your podcast. Okay, so we'll jump in and
0: um basically kind of talk about when you started um when you started writing. So kind of when did you know that you wanted to be a writer that this was something that you wanted to pursue like as a career?
1: So in terms of when I started to think that my writing was valid and that this was actually something that you know people may care about something that I thought um could I guess like deserve visibility in the world was when I was an undergrad um I took a first year seminar called reading and writing women's lives with professor Jane Daniewicz and That was kind of like my introduction into creative writing. So like before people start college, like they pick their first year seminars and um, that was the one I chose. It was like around the first time that I started writing like creative nonfiction that wasn't like, you know, kind of like the personal statements they make us do for college and all that. And um, it was in her class that she kind of pushed me to like investigate the things that you know, a lot of things that are in my work, kind of like the relationship with my parents and, like, college pressures and, I guess, like, career paths and, like, she was the person who kind of told me, make your decisions and be responsible for them in terms of if you don't want to be a doctor, then let's think of other paths. It was really her and then also um, just other professors I had in the creative writing program, like Pam Durban. um who really showed me that like the content of like my poems and stuff, there are a lot about like trauma and like family stuff. And they were the first ones who told me, you know, you have talent. There's something that like what you're writing about is important and it could mean a lot to other people. Um, that was kind of what made me think, oh, I could be like a writer. That's definitely what um, steered me towards grad school. When I started publishing, I was like, oh, okay, like maybe people... Um, may consider me like a real writer. Now, I don't know. I know that's like a weird question or whatever, Like, but that was kind of like the standard I set for myself because um, I was told like my whole life, you, you have to be a doctor and that was like the only route. Um, and I obviously didn't end up doing that when I was in college. I like entered college wanting to be like a psychiatrist. Like even before then, sure, like I had teachers tell me that I was a good writer and stuff, but I didn't think it mattered until I met those professors.
0: Did you ever write kind of like for fun when you were younger, like in high school or as a kid, or did you just think, oh, you know, I, I did well on that and kind of move on from there?
1: Writing in general, it did stem from like my childhood, because I remember you asking like, oh, like what made you want to be a writer? And the low key, I never, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. It was almost something that... um. You know, I was like some brown kid. I had moved to like an old white town. I used to be like really chubby and like really nerdy. I never really had social skills. I still don't really like. I'm glad people like me and stuff, but especially like you know, I didn't have like a ton of friends back then. And I was like in like the gifted and talented like writing class or whatever. And we had this poem project. It was more like for me. Like you know, my teacher had some like really cool stationery. This is like fourth grade. Um. And I always wanted to like go to like the stationary closet after class, pick out some papers and like type some poems on there. I still have them. Like I think I wrote like a hundred something poems, but it was also like, I didn't have like any friends. It's something you could do when you are like alone. Um, it was like my safe space that Man. I had when I was alone. Cause you know, it was both at school and at home. It's not like, I felt like There was a place that I was, like, accepted, and I guess it it was just, like, me being some brown kid trying to stay alive, so.
0: I would say it was very similar for me, too, because I was always thinking about things or, like, making up friends in my head and then just writing stuff about them. So, I definitely can see what you mean about that's, like you said, it's something you can do. It's, you don't need anybody for it. It keeps your brain moving,
1: um, I feel like writing is often like romanticized, and people give these like really deep responses for like what ma- drives them for writing or like mm-hmm. what is what the things that they care about what motivates them and I'm seriously like I was a loner like I you know didn't really see myself like in any space I didn't think there was a space for me but when I wrote and even when I write today like I need solitude I need being alone. Um, I need space from like the outside world because it was like the one thing I could call mine when there wasn't like other things that I could control. I couldn't control like my family life or where I was growing up. Like I couldn't control the racism around me, but I could at least like control. I mean, like I'm sure I didn't think about this that much then when I was like in fourth grade, like writing these poems and like comic sans and like putting them like formatting them in like center or like with word art and all those other like ugly things and like Microsoft word but like it was like a space where you know I can imagine like kind of like playing with like I could control the stance I could control how long these lines were I'm sure I didn't think about it on that complex of a level back then. But even today, like shapes of poems are really important to me. And I just appreciate like having that solitude. And it also just really bothers me when other people try to like, um, you know, infiltrate my writing time or like try to ask me what I'm writing about. Yes, I need to be alone with like, my thoughts and like my memory and like my brain. And that's, like how I've always been, I think I've read something. Oh, like how you were treated in fourth grade or the kind of person you were back then plays a big part in who you turn into as an adult. And for me, a lot of that is true. Like, I'm, I'm glad I got some friends since then, but I still really need solitude. And I'm not like very like, loud and outspoken. Like, sure, I have my opinions, but I'm not like really outgoing or anything like that. And part of that is because like, I didn't feel like I had that validation when I was younger.
0: Absolutely. Did, like, friends, family, did anybody ever say, like, oh, like, that's weird, or that's going to be really hard, or
1: was everybody kind of, like, supportive about it? All the time. Like, I'm sure there are some writers who have received lots of validation, lots of praise for, like, their work, who have always been given so much support,
0: but the reality is,
1: I'm an immigrant, I came from family where we all came over on like political asylum from Bangladesh. My parents were doctors there and they couldn't practice in the U.S. So I can't say that deciding not to do medicine, there wasn't any other option for me. Like I was confined to that choice for my whole life, even like when I was younger, like in first grade. And I said I wanted to be a vet. Like my parents were like, absolutely not. Um, Or like any other career path, there was no other choice. So I can't, I don't know what it's like to be like validated for wanting to be a writer. Or I remember I had this partner back in college and they were just like, you know, like MFA programs, no one gets in. That's actually a sentiment I heard from a lot of people, like friends and people in college, like people just don't get in MFA programs, especially out of undergrad. Um, I mean, there definitely was pushback, but you know, writing was ultimately something when I do it. I'm just like, I can't think of like, all the people who may not like my writing or who may think that what i'm doing is like not worthy or like you know the odds of me like actually being recognized for it are so slim because i don't write for them you know like i said like writing is something that i always associate with being alone so i don't think about them when i'm writing i don't do this to like make sure that i'm the model minority they have enough doctors they have enough engineers that's why i avoid like these brown people parties and functions (laughs) that my parents want me to go to because it's always like oh like you're you do writing like what are you gonna do with that and that's not even just brown people like you know it's not even just upholding the image of being a model minority it really is like a very dominant notion like why are you doing that it wasn't until like I guess I did publish a decent amount um and get like a decent number of awards that especially, like, within my family, they started, like, telling other people, oh, this is something that she actually does that she went to school for. Um, Aside from that, especially in the brown community, you know, like the South South Asian community, I always see, like, writing being considered as something, I guess, shameful. Like, it's not something, like I said, that you want to bring up at family gatherings and things like that because it's not something that makes money.
0: That's such an important point because especially in you know communities of color there's always like this very high standard just because it's so difficult sometimes to make it in society and then everyone kind of has this all or nothing mentality that like you say you're either being a doctor or you're doing something really really profitable or nothing and that's such a that's such a narrow perspective to put your mind in because we all have different things to contribute and just the idea of even if you were to look at it from a minority perspective, you would want to project broader images of black and brown people in the world. Like
1: there's gotta be more variety to it. I almost feel like if you're a person of color who does decide to do writing, um, poetry as like a career or something that you're very passionate about that you do wanna go to grad school for, or that you just want to shape your life around that, it's almost considered like, oh, you're privileged Mm-hmm. you have the financial means or something like that to go and pursue art instead of doing something that is transactional like you get this degree and then you make money i didn't come from money you know mm-hmm. it's not like my parents could practice medicine here they worked in the casinos i didn't like i'm grateful that i was even able to go to college there was no way that my parents could have paid for both me and my brother to go to college mm-hmm. like um and i you know like there was already so much pushback from being a Bangladeshi from being like a woman who is in college and like going against like what your parents said that you had to do you know it's not like I was like so bougie that I could like neglect all those things and just go pursue my art so
0: and I know um you mentioned people saying you know oh, no one gets in the MFA programs, which is really interesting because I was reading um Shonda Rhimes' book and she said that she was sitting in her parents' basement. And she read some article about getting into film school or something was harder than getting into med school. So she was like, you know, challenge accepted. Did you apply to like a lot of different schools? Do you feel there was anything that you did that might have helped or was a
1: really good strategy or did you just kind of go for it? So, and I'm really hoping that things have changed in like the three or four years since. I guess, three years since I applied for my MFA and got in um, because there was a lot of pushback, even among my peers. And like, you know, people I talk to um, like that you don't get in out of undergrad and which is so strange to me now, because I know a lot of people who get into MFA programs out of undergrad and like funded MFA programs. So I only ended up applying to four schools, because I was like, okay, whatever, I'm not going to get in, but let me at least try to make it seem like I have some option after undergrad, because there's always this sentiment, like, when you're a senior, that people are like, oh my god, like, what are you going to do after this? Like, you really got to have it together, like, and it's like, who gives a fuck? Like, we're all, like, 22, like... But, you know, even if we do something right now, that doesn't mean that that's going to be what we do for the rest of our lives. Like, exactly. It was really dumb, like, being in college. And there's, like, so much pressure to know what you're doing afterwards when, let's be honest, like, if we're going to keep it 100, like, we don't talk to a lot of people after college. Like, who cares, like, what these people think? Like, you're not even relevant, like, you know, but... You're so true,
0: because you feel so much pressure. And it's like, they won't know they won't care. But we're trying to please what everybody else thinks.
1: And like, we really want to seem like to our peers, like we're all measuring up to each other when it's like, you know, like someone who's going to med school, like they got nothing to do with me. So there shouldn't be like, any judgment. The thing is, and I think a lot of it was, you know, being familiar with rejection, like growing up. And, you know, I am okay with rejection. Like if I don't get in, it's not going to break me. But I did apply to those four schools because mm-hmm. due to that pressure, like, oh, what are you doing? Like, what are the next steps after like college? And um, I got into three of the four schools. Um, The one I went to, it was like fully funded and all that. If I were to do it all over, I maybe would have applied to more schools, but I definitely wouldn't have delayed going because at that time, you know, things I was writing about. I was like writing about my childhood, but I was also like addressing like some things with trauma. And it was just necessary, I felt, at that point for me to, you know, just write more. And I think that going to grad school did allow me to have that discipline to keep writing about those things instead of like avoiding them. I was able to like process. Just like my life, better because all my poems are autobiographical. Like in case anybody had like any doubts about that, like they're all they're all about me. There's like no other brown girl that I'm talking about (laughs) is me. But um, so I don't regret ever going directly into grad school. I think that was what was necessary for me at the time. Mm -hmm. It felt most urgent to keep writing at that time, and it would have been so easy just, you know, giving up and like tried to avoid writing grad school. Like sure, you get paid time to write, but there's also other obligations that may not be as pleasant. Teaching like composition or doing other things that aren't directly relevant to creative writing. I still think that having that time to write and also just like being in workshop, mechanically like producing work, I think that was helpful for me. Though I know there's a lot of arguments like, oh, you know, you're 22 and you don't have that much life experience. Like an MFA should be like when you're older and like you could you know have more shit to write about um like a bunch of arguments that to me like maybe it's because I'm millennial I'm like I I don't think that matters I, I still don't think it matters like I'm sure like you know I'm people definitely disagree with that but if you want to go to get an MFA after undergrad like I don't see why um I don't know if people assume that if you're 22 like 23 that you can't write as well because that's just simply not the case but i don't regret it i just get so annoyed when people have that
0: philosophy that somebody is too young to write or they're you know they don't have enough life experience because honestly writing most of the time it's all about your experience and all it's all about your emotion and if you've lived any amount of time you've got experience and you've got emotion so i definitely agree
1: I don't know like what kind of, there shouldn't be some assumption that every 22-year-old just doesn't have shit to write about or that they're all going to be writing about their exes or something. People could write about whatever they want, but, um, and I know like a lot of people who are around my age that all write drastically different material, But it would be very unfortunate to kind of miss out on having people who are in their early 20s straight out of undergrad not going to grad school and others missing out on like the talent that they do bring to the table. People need to know that there's novel perspectives coming in about issues that affect us today and kind of like discounting a whole group of writers and poets
0: Was it an easy choice for you to figure out which genre you wanted to focus on?
1: So in terms of fiction, part of the reason, you know, it's really funny because I did apply to programs in poetry. Um, I did consider programs in creative nonfiction, but there were so few. But anyway, the reason why I turned to poetry when I was at UNC was because... Um, I got rejected from advanced fiction twice. So I guess after the second time, it was just like too devastating for me. And I was like, I just got to go a different route then. And like, at that point, I barely wrote any poetry except for the stuff I wrote in fourth grade, which is really bad. It was like that summer before, you know, the poetry workshop that you and I took together um, that I took mm-hmm. like my first like creative nonfiction workshop. I just don't know how to write fiction. Okay, like, you know, it's... I, there were some fiction workshops in grad school. I can't say like I ever, I ever had the desire to take one because, like I said, those two rejections from advanced fiction were just traumatizing. I guess like my creative nonfiction style did weave well into poetry. And now that I've been writing poetry for a long time, it's really interesting because now since I've been writing poetry for so long, a lot of my creative nonfiction almost, um, instead of just being like very, I guess like straightforward prose it's there's and like just straight narrative um a lot of it has almost become like almost like exclusively maybe that's not the right word but like lyric essay oriented because of my poetry um which isn't maybe that's just like the way i develop as a writer but i definitely notice that i use much less dialogue No, I definitely understand. Yeah, I think
0: because it's such a different headspace that you're coming out of. And there's, I always feel like there's a lot more moving parts to think about when you're doing prose or any type of fiction or anything because you've got to keep a whole story together and formulate something that makes sense and has like ups and downs. Whereas poetry, you're doing that in a more condensed space and it always seems like you can kind of focus on what's working and not working. And I just feel like it's easier to edit because it doesn't
1: take as long, which probably sounds lazy. It actually takes me longer sometimes to write poems. There's like a, and um, I guess like when it's I'm actively writing them, that's mm-hmm. kind of like how I decide whether it's going to be a creative nonfiction piece or a poem. But that's something that I, I often can't determine that until like I. I'm actually writing about a certain topic and then I'll put it away later for like a creative nonfiction project or I'll put it away later for a poem. But sometimes some poems I write take a lot less time than a creative nonfiction piece, especially if it's like a poem that um is in a certain type of form because having those rules really does force me to kind of reduce the amount of details I'm using because a lot of times, especially when I'm writing prose, I might have too much detail that I feel like I need to condense into the space of a poem. People hate on me for saying this. I do kind of like creative nonfiction better, even though like I primarily, I guess, I guess would be known, you know, if anyone knows me, like for my poetry.
0: So you mentioned that teaching is a um, a component as well. And other things are sometimes kind of unrelated um, that a lot of MFA students have to kind of fulfill was there any type of direction or like guidance for you all when you started like teaching, you know, a course or was it something that you kind of
1: had to figure out on your own? So I will say that Virginia Tech has changed like the structure of its program and how it like um trains the grad students before they like enter the classroom but in my case what they did was we took this I think it was like six credits or something like pedagogy class the semester before we taught and I never had teaching experience so we took one semester of this really heavy load like pedagogy class where there was a like a lot of literature involved a lot of reading not as much actual like being in the classroom teaching because it was a very different experience for me when I was you know, a teacher by myself, like I said, look at 19 when your students are like 17, 18. Um, I will say, like, I was not prepared for the student teacher dynamics when you are a a woman of color, a younger looking Mm -hmm. woman of color in a very, very white school. Often, like I had to turn to my mentors to be like, how do I navigate this issue? But I felt definitely felt like there were certain instances that I wasn't prepared for. I don't know if you could teach people to be par- prepared for, especially if they are of a minority identity. I do will say that I did think that teaching at Virginia Tech was valuable to me. Um, I had a lot of students who were very talented writers, and they were like in their very first semester of college. It was definitely like a really rewarding experience. And then like when you get teaching evaluations and they're like really nice and like, you know, they say like (laughs) how they like really liked your English class, even though they don't like writing. Those are definitely moments where, you know, I would be teaching and I'm like, I see why people do this. And it was nice because like it's probably evident, like in the way that I talk, like I get anxious. Sometimes I'm not like hella outgoing or anything and my students taught me, you know, you could still be a good teacher, even if you don't have that like teacher personality, if you're not domineering is the right, right word. I'm not like a bossy person. I'm not like, you know, very yeah. authoritarian. And they kind of taught me, you don't have to be those things. You can still be some awkward, you know, 20 something. That doesn't mean that you would still be a bad teacher. Like, students will learn from you. And in some ways, they may respect you more or just like appreciate your honesty. If you are more human, sometimes I often forgot that like my professors and my teachers were human beings. You know, I didn't consider like, oh, maybe they have their own things going on um, and maybe they would be stressed out for that. And maybe that would like impact their teaching or something.
0: Yeah, that having that human sense and showing that someone can be valuable to you and they can still influence you and teach you in a way that is their personality and not being super preppy and all those things. I I totally understand what you mean. Do you have anything like coming up that you're super excited about or working on?
1: You know, like I finished like my first manuscript like at the end of my MFA and I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm done." But then like of course, like as some months go by, you're like, "Okay, like this poem, I could restructure it and it would sound so much better." So I've been doing a little bit of that because mm-hmm. I'm Really interested in like psychology and like astrology, and especially like astrology. I'm, I know that's kind of basic, but I'm really interested in those things. And I've kind of been trying to write some poems about those kind of topics. And because my first manuscript for my first book is so much about me and my mom and like the mm-hmm. ways that we conflicted with one another and the ways that we were so different from one another. So I'm a Capricorn with an Aquarius moon, and my mom's an Aquarius, and like, um. So like being an Aquarius moon, that's like kind of, you know, who you are when people like get to know you, like kind of like who you are, like deep down. And my mom's an Aquarius and like I've been trying to write some poems, like analytical poems. These I have these field notes poems that use like more technical language in they're like more like in list form in relation to astrology and ways mm-hmm. that me and my mom are similar. So it's a bit different from like my first manuscript because it's kind of like me trying to like finding empathy For her and seeing the ways that we may be similar. Um, So and I feel like I'm at that age now where I can kind of see, um, you know, those more traumatic or like aversive events like in a different light in order to write poems about them. I read this book called, what's it called? The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. And it's about psychology and trauma and how um, kind of like childhood trauma. I took like a lot of notes from that because it talks about like fMRIs and a lot of scientific concepts that I want to incorporate into my poem. So I think both of those things are kind of topics that I would think could be a good way to shape my second book.
0: That's awesome. So if
1: people want to follow you or visit you online, where can they go? So you can find me on anoradabomick.com. And that's where like all my work is. And you can also follow me on Instagram. My um, Instagram handle is bowmicky. So it's B-H-O-W-M-I-K-K-Y. And I'm on Facebook too. So we're going to um, finish up with our Mayraki picks. And so I'll
0: start with the, I'll start with food this time since I love food. So what is a restaurant that you just love that you wish everybody
1: could go to? So Mint at UNC Chapel Hill. It's on West Franklin. That still to this day is like my favorite restaurant. I've been in Philly. I've been like trying to find an Indian restaurant with the best paneer. The best paneer still to this day is at Mint in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I think everyone should go. And what is a song that
0: maybe has been stuck in your head or you've been listening to a lot lately? Or maybe even just like an artist if it's been like, yeah, because songs can be hard.
1: I know that this isn't like I should have picked like something more like unique and stuff. But I do really like God is a Woman by Ariana Grande um yes, I'm a big fan of that song like whenever I'm like walking to work and I have that song on like I feel like it's gonna be a good day and I'm like really cranky when I walk to work so I'm glad that it puts me in a good mood
0: (laughs) I love that song too okay and then finally what's like a quote or something yeah some type of saying that um that you kind of like live by that you say to yourself when you're when you need a
1: push um okay so one time i want to say because I don't, I don't it might not have been tumblr because i don't know if tumblr really is a thing anymore these days but i found this picture maybe it was on instagram um and i hung it up it's in my apartment too <laughs> um but it just says like be you be who you needed when you were younger and i think that i often think about that even though i like i know it's not like a really like poetic quote or anything but i often think about that when I write and also like in the way that I kind of conduct myself um on a daily basis. So yeah. I like that a lot.
0: And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a fun one in for you too. So this is like a fun fact for anyone. Um and especially if you um do follow Arata, you'll see it, but that you love makeup, which is awesome. So I'm gonna throw in a fun question for you. If you have any new I don't know, brands, products, anything you want to share with us that you've been
1: obsessed with? Okay, I'm looking over at like my vanity right now as I'm saying this. (laughs) So for concealer, I think everyone should hit up the Too Faced Born This Way. Um, For skincare, I've been really liking, um, for essence, I like the Maycoop Raw Sauce. For a toner, there's a hyaluronic acid one from Hada Labo. Um, the Farsali Rose Gold Elixir is a really good facial oil. Ooh. And, you know, we're getting to that age where skincare is important. So I think that the Shiseido Ultimune and the Ula Henriksen Truth Serum are both really good serums. I could go on about this, but I, you know, um, so if you want to, like, follow me and hit me up about makeup suggestions, I can share more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us
0: today and spending some of your time. This has been so much fun.
1: Thanks a lot for having me and for talking to me um, and for entertaining my um, long-winded responses. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Remember to rate or review us on iTunes, Facebook, or your favorite podcast app. You've been listening to Meraki Mentors Podcast with Candace Howes. We're honored you chose to spend your time with us today. To learn more about today's guest or the podcast, visit Podcast.com. Don't forget to create and connect.